Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. This is Yannick Noah. Hi, I'm Ella. And I'm Holly. We're Tamara Glenny's granddaughters. And you're listening to the Tamanese Podcast! Well, that intro made me smile. Thank you very much, Ella and Holly and Tamara Glenny for all your support, as always, here on the Tennis Podcast. Backed us in our Kickstarter at the end of last year, which helps us keep this show on the road. And uh, yeah, we've had Ella and Holly on before. And I, no offense to anybody else, but I think they might be my favorites. Uh, <laughs> Catherine, Matt, two of my other favorites. How are you? All right. Could Catherine thinking... Never heard that before. Catherine's thinking David is too pumped. <laughs> David's gone all Bruce Forsyth. How can we deflate David a little bit? You can't. Right. <laughs> so, right. Let's get started on the tennis <laughs> podcast, shall we? Um, and, uh, and that means Cincinnati, because um, that's been going on for the last four days since we were last with you. And we've we know who's won it, um, and Ash Barty's won the women's tournament. Bloody hell, she was good, Catherine. <laughs> yeah, she was. Yeah, she was unbelievably good, wasn't she? I mean, yeah, I don't think I, I, it wasn't that long ago. Was it? <clears throat> was it Miami? which obviously she won. So, I mean, it, this didn't even age well in the short term, let alone in the medium to long term. But it was in Miami where I remember thinking, oh gosh, it's it's when there were a couple of matches that I, I watched and I just didn't feel quite convinced by her and her form. I, I thought when she's, when she's good, she's really, really good, obviously. But it's amazing how quickly, you know, she would go off the boil. She she really, really would go off the boil for periods. That loss to Mukova at the Australian Open worried me. Um there was a there was a match early on uh in Miami that she very nearly lost. She might even have been match point down. Um and I, I just I mean she just she's so far away from no. No, the opposite. She is so boiling all the time now 
seemingly there is no she's n- never anywhere close to to being off the boil should have should have finessed the boiling analogy in advance <laughs> obviously very clear i just plucked that out of thin air anyway um do you know what i mean she she you know she did not that long ago she would st- still play play really great matches but she she would yeah she would really drop her level for for patches and i just i just can't really remember the last time i saw early rounds of wimbledon the last time i saw that from her really and and she'd she hadn't played coming into wimbledon so that was in in anybody would that was entirely understandable she just is so in that zone she must feel i mean i know she's too humble to actually feel invincible but she must feel an Ash Barty version of un- Invincible at the moment. Just she must feel like a racket's a magic wand, you know that that zone that athletes talk about. Just that you get in once or twice in your career, you know, if you're lucky. Um, yeah, it must feel great to be Ash Barty right now. Yeah, and, and it doesn't feel that long ago that her sort of status as number one was being questioned at the start of the season you know she hadn't played for so long obviously very understandably and Naomi Osaka had won the last two slams and then starting in Miami since then Ash Barty is putting together one of the best seasons we've seen for quite a while in terms of consistency and an ability to win big tournaments and to set goals and to go out and achieve them you know she made Miami a goal she made Wimbledon a goal she sort of just ticked them off and the tennis she played this week was really some of the best I think she's played all year. When you look at the players she beat, Azarenka, she thrashed Azarenka, 6-love, six 6-2. Six she brushed aside Krejcikova. She beat Angelique Kerber again, very similar scoreline to how she beat her at Wimbledon. And then... Boo! <laughs> Actually, yeah, we should probably say thank you, Ash Barty, rather than, any, <laughs> rather than anything else. Um, David was looking at how many points? 1,510. Odds makers mm. don't think much of Angelique Kerber, do they? I mean, respect, David, for almost getting that many points. But that is too many points. It was not that yeah. improbable that Angelique Kerber, who Wimbledon semi-finalist, would win the tournament last week. Anyway. Uh, Absurd, absolutely yeah, absurd. Okay. But carry, carry on, Matt. You spied uh, an opportunity, uh, David, and you almost took it. <laughs> yes. Alm- almost well done. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, and look, she's doing all this living out of a suitcase as well, which I just think makes it all yeah. the more remarkable this season she's put together. I think she said um, that it was a hundred and fifty ninth day, not that anyone's counting, that she's been away from home I think she said that to the WTA insider and you sort of wonder when she will shut her season down it might be after the US Open this might be the the final push she's on she may go to Indian Wells I suppose she may not I guess that will be a decision to come in the next few weeks but at the moment the focus is is right there I do think the Olympics was very important for her I think she was in a slightly 
difficult mental space going into that having just won Wimbledon I think she hadn't quite processed that those few days were a bit of a blur and that sort of affected her tennis on the singles court in Tokyo but just as an experience it was kind of what she needed to be rejuvenated again and gosh she she she's just fantastic and I've I've said this before about Ash Barty that she's got such a complex game in many ways you know she can do so many things and she can express herself through her tennis in such an interesting way but what I thought this week was just how simplified her tennis was and she's got that serve is becoming more and more of a weapon and her forehand we don't talk about Ash Barty's forehand enough I don't think I think it's probably the best shot in women's tennis at the moment the way she is able to just dictate points and matches with it and it's it's so simple it seems so repeatable and I think that's a big part of why she's able to just sort of sweep opponents aside she's got a trademark she's got a plan she knows how to do it and there's so much safety on the shot as well isn't it it just doesn't doesn't ever seem to let her down no it's it's got spin it's got pace it's it's just such a good shot and she can rely on it and being able to rely on something and to have all the sort of little tools in her game that she does makes her so complete and so so difficult to stop we'll talk about the woman she beat in the final in a few moments time jill teichman because she had a fantastic week as well but just wanted to reference what ash barty said after winning this fifth title of the season in her press comments i, I listened to it before we started recording tonight it was a 15 minute press comments She's just getting so interesting, the amount of detail and information she's giving us in her press conferences. And she's just getting better every time I hear her talk. And the the things that really struck me, you could just note them down as three bullet points, things that I just did not know. One is that she, she went into this tournament almost to experiment with her own game to try something that she's never really done before, which is to go after her serve and to try to hit these spots and win simple points on her terms. Kind of not rely on the rest of her game as much, but try to go after shots in a, in a, in a much more sort of big serve, big forehand point over kind of way, which is not something I really associate with her. And, and, and she kind of acknowledged that. Part of that, she said, was the fact that the conditions were going to be fast. She knew that. And and everybody was talking at the tournament about how these were the fastest conditions they'd played on pretty much all year. So there was that. And then she also said that the whole tournament was not results-oriented. Now, she's somebody who often talks in those terms anyway about somebody who who just wants to focus on what she's doing point to point and match to match rather than worrying about results and getting her own, in her own way. But she was very clear, very specific, that the reason that she was feeling like that is because she wanted only to arrive in New York ready to contend, to be at her absolute best, to give herself that chance. It was really pointed, and uh, and I, I really enjoyed hearing that clarity of thought and that courage really to to just tell us that you know and to not be afraid to sort of say yeah I want to win the US Open and I want to arrive there with the best chance of doing so and this tournament is about getting to that point and the third thing was you alluded to it Matt is that feeling after Wimbledon which I wasn't aware of that she'd 
she was struggling a little bit to 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 kind of just deal with all of it she has built that moment up in her mind for so long winning wimbledon that was such a goal of hers and suddenly here she was achieving it and she said that she was sort of relying on her team members to help her piece together the memories of what had happened because it had all been so much and she says i think i'm still trying to come to terms with it now and uh, and i just found that again what a what a fantastic insight and she she clearly takes almost comfort i think in the road that has been travelled before her by Yvonne Goulagong as a, as somebody who she can relate to and who she takes such great pride in following the footsteps of. Um, but I love that we understand, I feel like I understand, I've got to know Ash Barty a little bit over the last year. I don't know her at all. She wouldn't know me if I walked in a room. She wouldn't have a clue who I am. And I didn't know who she was as a person at all until she started speaking like this. And I, I really appreciate it. And I really, I suspect it's all part of the, the mindset coaching she's had about understanding how best to feel day to day and how best to function. And God, she she just impresses me more every time I see her as a player and as a person. She's awesome. Strong favourite for the US Open? Certainly favourite. I think mm. I think strong would be perhaps... Too strong. Too strong because there's just so many other good players. Yeah, she'd be a stronger favourite in other eras, I think, because she's so good. But then there are other players that are also... Incre- there's so many good players. She's better than virtually all of them. But they're all blooming good, and that's that's why it's interesting. I, I would say she's favourite, but oh, you know, yeah, then same. If you, if you... I would call her favourite without hesitation, but n- but not far, not quite put her as strong favourite, but not. Due, I mean, there's nothing else she could do <laughs> to to be that. It, it's just down to the the depth. Manner of those wins, though, that you described earlier, they they convince me that she's moved to another level mm, yeah totally and look i think i think the sort of quiet of ash Barty versus the big noise and bustle of new york city is is quite a contrast and it, and it will be interesting to see her like this in new york because we've just not had that yet okay she went in to 2019 us open as as the french open champion and very much on the rise but she is the established world number one now and this is the first time playing the US Open like that so I'm I'm just sort of intrigued by that I think those wins I mentioned Azarenka, Krejcikova, Kerber what I found really interesting about them as well is that we've seen Barty play those players already this season and I know we were talking the other day about how that that's the one thing that's missing from the WTA tour at the moment is rivalries they can certainly come on and there can be more rivalries. But I, I think it is cool how Ash Barty is, yes, she's targeting slams, but we're also seeing her week in, week out on the tour. And that yeah. is how it should be. Look, I understand why Novak Djokovic is focusing on the slams. It's this, this is not a criticism of him and he's in a very different place in his career. He's He's done his time on the tour. But at the moment, the men's game feels so heavily swayed towards the slams just because of the nature of Djokovic going for what he is 
And yet, week in, week out, we're getting the best player in the world, Ash Barty, commit to the tour. And we're just sort of, as you said, David, following her, learning more about her week in, week out, and developing these little rivalries with players. She had that one with Sabalenka. She's played Kerber a couple of times recently. She's played Krejcikova. As I said, she's played Azarenka. And I just like that as as a fan of tennis. I like to be able to sort of have a have a narrative to follow throughout the season. And I think Ash Barty has been a really great one this season. Mm. Oh, that's a really good point. Very good point, Matt. <laughs> yes, indeed. Um, and the woman she beat in the final, Jill Teichman, is, I mean, that there's a player that has had a big run last year, but I still don't, I feel like this is the moment I kind of started to understand what she's all about. What, what do you, what do you know about her? Yeah, well, she came. She came to my attention in Lexington last year, uh, which remember took, Lexington. Yeah, remember Lexington. Remember Serena Williams warming up in a car park <laughs> uh, outside a sort of municipal leisure centre in Lexington, uh, right by that main road where that <laughs> skip lorry kept going past. Um, that yeah, tournament didn't even happen this what, year, did it? What a wild time it was. I think it's gone back to being uh, a, either a Challenger or an ITF, an ITF event. Oh. They, they they hold the tournament, but it's not at elevated level like it was last year. Um, yeah, she, she came to my attention in Lexington where she reached the final loss to Jennifer Brady. Jen Brady? Jenny Brady? Um, and she was extremely impressive that week really confident um very athletic extremely athletic game fair bit of variety you know it's not it's not the most elegant game but she's a real competitor and um she speaks really well you know a a lot about her really real solidity to her game I think and she had had she you know she She's had results, you know, she's done a fair bit of winning, but it a lot of the time it's at 250 level and on clay, you know, and at the sort of events that don't form part of the sort of tour story so much, aren't building up to anything or, you know, a bit of a sort of Casper Rude three, three titles after Wimbledon on clay vibe I mean she didn't win three titles on clay after Wimbledon but she's she's done a lot of her winning completely out of the spotlight um and this is the first time really with all due respect to Lexington that she's done anything in the spotlight um and it's one of those where you look at her game and think well why you're really really good um and I'm I'm really pleased that she backed up that win she had over Osaka last week. I'm really pleased that that wasn't able to be dismissed as a, a flash in the pan or a bad day for, for Naomi Osaka. I mean, obviously, Naomi Osaka is still building up to form. It wasn't peak Osaka. Um, but, you know, she, she was thoroughly outclassed in the final. I'm not sure who could have stopped Ash Barty. Um, but that shouldn't detract from a real breakthrough week for Jill Teichman who I think I think has top 30 potential Mm. this final appearance gets her back in the top 
50, I believe. I think she's around about 45 now. And she, she'd started the season strongly. I, I remember her reaching the semi-final in Dubai and she was getting a bit of form going again. And then she got injured in Palermo, I think, on the clay and had to miss Roland Garros, which, just as you've described, she's got a game which, yes, she's had some good results on hard court, but actually you sort of think, well, clay is is where that game should be thriving. I think she's got a Spanish coach and she grew up in mm. Spain. There's a She loves clay. She yeah. Yeah, there's the, she's got that lefty topspin forehand that you just think clay immediately. And so she missed Roland Garros and that was a real blow for her and this was this was the first thing she's sort of been able to to kind of do since then and yeah, she's She's a very cerebral tennis player. I think, you know, she picks the right shot at the right time. She's not going to overpower you, but she might outthink you and outmaneuver you. And yeah, it was a really great run and back in the top 50, which absolutely I think is where she belongs. And let's hope she can she can push up into the kind of seedings at slams, I suppose, would be a good target. If, if you've got any idea why she got a wild card into Cincinnati, I mean, obviously she's entirely justified it and I'm chuffed to bits for her that she did but that's a that's quite a wild wild card (laughs) I mean usually they go to American players or former champions you know that have dropped out of the the rank the you know Mm. the top of the top of the pops no I don't (laughs) but um oh the portion of the podcast where we ask Matt questions (laughs) off the cuff that he doesn't know the answer to (laughs) (laughs) Oh well, so, something to <laughs> something to try and find out anyway. <laughs> if anyone still cares next week, mm. but as you said, it, it sort of makes sense that she would get one because she was making strides, had a setback, and this is sort of just oh, propping her back up again. Well, that's I suppose that's very nice of the Western mm. and Southern Open, I would say, mm. to help knock out. Naomi Osaka from the mm, tournament. Yes. <laughs> a bit like when Marin Cilic got that wild card and beat Tim Hemman at Queens. Anyway, <laughs> all those years ago. Um, so anyway, it was a cracking week, actually. Um, the, the women's singles, I, I thought, overall, really some great matches throughout. Um, and the doubles as well, because great story there from, from an Australian point of view, because Sam Stoser and Zheng Shui, reunited for the first time since February, won the doubles title, their third title together, first since the 2019 Australian Open, uh, beat Montreal champions Gabriela Dabrowski and Luisa Stefani in the final. Um, 7-5-6-3, Stefani, I, I just love watching her play doubles. But that's impressive from Stoser, isn't it? And And I'm pleased because... You know, she's she's had a lot of losses in the last few years, certainly in singles. And uh, I love the fact that she still just loves the game. She just wants to play. Yeah, me too. I remember their, that 2019 Australian Open win that they had was a really emotional one. That's one of the, the moments that that sticks in my mind most about the 2019 Australian Open, actually. The, I think it was the on-court speeches they did and Zhang Shui saying, obviously it was in in Melbourne and extremely emotional for, for Sam Stoza, who famously has had very disappointing results in singles at her home slam. For her to be lifting a trophy at her home slam was just really glorious, I think, and sort of cheered on by the whole of the locker room, um, who all think very highly of Sam Stoza. But Zhang Shui uh, explained that it was 
Sam Stozer that persuaded her not to retire from tennis. She was right on the brink of retirement and Sam Stozer persuaded her her not to and it was just a really unexpectedly emotional moment. So I don't know, I'm totally extrapolating that story um, for for my own purposes, but I'd love to think that Zhang Shui has sort of returned the favour and persuaded Sam Stozer to stay out there a bit longer for, for moments like they had yesterday. Um, I mean, maybe that didn't happen at all. But anyway, it's all lovely. Mm. It was Stoza's, uh first title as a mother, I believe. And um, would you like some more wholesome Zhang Shui quotes, Catherine? Yes, please. Because she said, uh, we miss each other so much because the last two years we cannot play together. The first tournament we played together, we won the big trophy. And that's so special. The first day we met each other and Sam told me, yeah, we're back. I'm so happy because I can play with my best friend every day. Oh. 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 Lovely. Oh, they're great. Oh, uh, that's very, very, really lovely. Very nice. That's great. Great story. Um, uh, well, it'll be, it'll be a really interesting doubles tournament, I think, um, uh, at the US Open this time around in both men's and women's events. Um, I think that there's just, there's a lot of competition. I mean, you've, you've got the clear standout uh, men's duo in um, Mektic and Pavic, of course, but I know there's so much, so much quality and so much depth in those draws now. So um, that'll be a very interesting tournament at the end of the year. The, the men's singles was won by Alexander Zverev, who beat Andre Rublev 6-2, 6-3 in just 58 minutes. And frankly, it could have been even quicker than that because he was 6-2, 5-2 up Zverev and he got his serve broken. One little wobble there when he hit a couple of double faults. Other than that, I mean, he was he is playing probably the best tennis of his career, I would have thought at the moment. I mean, that's Olympic gold medal, didn't play uh, Toronto, followed it up and he was just dismissing people i mean he he swiped um casper aside for the loss of just four games the, the the really big match from his perspective was the one against stefano Tsitsipas, which uh, which was the semi-final and which was all over the place quite honestly because um zverev was fairly comfortably in charge then he started to complain of some some ill health he went off court and he was he was unwell off the court um and then Sitsabas was what four one up with with a couple of breaks to serve in the third set, and then didn't win. I mean that was uh, I don't know. Is that a choke from Sitsabas? Listen to David talking about the match like he stayed up to two a.m. watching it like we I watched did. It on Matt. catch up. Mm. What's that? I catch read up? All your, mm. Read all your tweets. <laughs> David, David woke up to how many messages from us? Ninety one. Ninety one messages. <laughs> yeah. We're hardcore, David. We're hardcore. But I actually, very long I actually match. avoided. I decided to not read your conversation until I'd watched it on catch up. <laughs> right, right. Well, just just rowing back in time a bit. I mean, short answer your question. I would say choke is a bit harsh, but he certainly blew it to an extent. He he tightened up when serving for the match. Sits a pass. I would say he played a bad game. Um, from that point onwards, I feel like. Zverev, Zverev won it, really, uh, but but yes, sits a pass, disposed of an opportunity, likely. But rowing back in time a little bit, Zverev won the first set. Then sits a pass, goes off court 
for a bathroom break, as he is wont to do of late. And now, look, they've been playing in, in sweltering-looking conditions in Cincinnati and in uh, Canada the, the previous week as well. So a lot of players have been going off court to change with their bags in tow to change their kit. Um, so Zverev, no, Tsitsipas trundles off court with his bag, normal. Everybody sort of settles in for, he averages eight minutes for these breaks, settles in for an eight minute, eight minute bathroom break. All of us imagining what he's, what he's doing in the loose, you know, peeling off his sweaty underpants. Anyway, um, (laughs) Zverev then complains to the umpire after clocking Apostolos, father and coach of Stefanos, uh, sitting in the player's box texting, Zverev complained to the umpire that Sitsipas could and probably is in the loo, not in fact peeling off his sweaty underpants, but texting his dad for for tips, for helpful tips and advice. Now, I don't know if Stefanos Sitsipas was doing that, but I definitely know he could be because it is a completely unpoliced situation and most players are taking bathroom breaks to change their kit at the moment, certainly in longer matches. And there is absolutely no policing of of phones being in that kit. So who knows? But he, he raises a valid point, Zverev. I mean, he, he, he sort of, he took it quite far and said everybody knows that Sitsipas does this he did it in Paris he's doing it here everyone knows then my other favorite thing was at the end of the second set then Apostolos started making like decoy phone calls (laughs) you know because Sitsipas stayed on the court at that change of end so Apostolos tried to sort of make out that no no he's just got you know really important business dealings that require him to be on his phone um yeah, very, very. I'm always here for sort of new, new agro avenues, and this this feels like one of those. Mm-hmm. And I think once Vera had raised the point with the umpire, Ali Nilly, who I think was was the referee, sort of quite nervously went backstage, perhaps even looking for <laughs> Stefano. Knocked on the toilet door mm. as as though he was sort of trying to be seen to be doing something about this accusation i mean and, and, he, and he seemed to go to the wrong door because then Sitsipas just sort of walked out another one it was like a sort of comedy sketch um but yes i mean i don't i really don't think we can go into the accusation because there's just no way we can know or not but the point is that should be police shouldn't it i mean they should have their bag check that they don't have their phone in it or there should be someone making sure they don't have a phone on them when they're going into a private space. I mean, and the fact that there is no one doing that just seems like so tennis, like yeah. like something no one has thought about that is actually incredibly obvious. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And you, I mean, it was, it was quite a week for slightly, um, you know, postmodern aggro, because there was, there was, I mean, Andre Rublev managed to create aggro with Gael Monfils, which, which really takes some, takes some doing, I think. And he accused him of 
always puking during matches. <laughs> he always does. Gilmore Fees went to have a puke in a bin at the back of the court, and Andre Rublev has a huff about it and says, "Oh, he's always doing this." I, I do watch Andre Rublev and think, you know, you really could do with just relaxing I mean, a bit. Number one, he's definitely not always doing that. <laughs> number two, if he is. Well, poor Gail. <laughs> Let's yeah. help him not get Gail, stressy at him. Gail goes from puking in the bin to basically having to explain himself yeah. to his opponent. And he's such <laughs> a great bloke. He managed to completely diffuse a very aggy ag- Andre Rublev in about four seconds. It was... Rublev couldn't have been more 14-year-old, could he, at that no, point? No, he's it, accused it, it, you of... Of being a serial fake puker. <laughs> I mean... Because right at the end of it, after he got it all out of his system, there was then that sudden moment of realisation, well, all right then. You know, and then he did the bump fist thing. Yeah, you know. he went, oh, OK, and did the equivalent <laughs> of sort of trudging up to his room. But it was trudging back to the baseline. And um, we had uh, Daniil Medvedev assaulting a camera. Well, I mean, arguably the camera assaulted him first Ooh, by being in the way. Kind of philosophical body discussion. Him. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, th- th- that was a very interesting talking point because whilst Zverev has won the tournament and, and has won it kind of, apart from the Sitsabas match, he's won everything else in the tournament easily. It was Medvedev who was winning everything incredibly easy that was really capturing all the the attention, I would say, because he's gone straight from Toronto where he's beaten Isner and Abelka for the loss of a handful of games, and then he's come straight in here and he's beaten another load of players. He's just he's just dismissing them as though they're they're joke opponents. And then he faces Rublev, who he always beats, wins the first set six two, and it's just happening again. Um and it that looks doesn't look any way that Rublev is going to win this match until Daniel Medvedev runs into a camera at the back of the court, which I must admit, when it happened, it suddenly made me think, crikey, I I was kind of unaware that that person was back there. I'm not really sure why they're on the court. The the way they've configured it, it is a bit in the way. I also think, well, yeah, it's those are the dimensions. You just got to work with them. It's not, maybe it's not ideal for your game style, but that's just the way it is. That's basically how I think about it. But I mean, then then he just completely lost his mind. And it did make me think that in all this conversation about Dano Medvedev, over the last few years, we've seen several occasions where he just beats himself, really. And I, I don't want to take anything away from Rublev because he, he hung in there and he got over his own demons to manage to win the match and come back. So fair play to him for that. But think about it. Medvedev in the Australian Open final this year when it was all set up for him to really push Djokovic and Djokovic was brilliant not taking anything away from him but Medvedev did not show up mentally in that match really and then we had the one at Wimbledon where he's where he's two sets to one up against Hercatch and he just got he just came out with the wrong attitude the next day and again Hercatch was really good but the best players go with you they they weather your storm. They they take it on and they stay with you until they get the better of you. And then here we are again. Things could not have been going better. Now, I, I admit it's a shock to the system and it must have worried him. 
But you cannot allow that to happen if you're going to be winning these titles. I I don't think, and that's that puts a big question mark in my mind at the U.S. Open. His level is there. His level of tennis is right there to be beating any of these guys if he plays his best tennis. But I don't know. Can you trust him? Mm. He can snap very quickly, Medvedev. He's, he's got a real temper. And, and and actually, I I thought that was really not on, kicking the camera lens. That is That is an expensive bit of equipment. And I think because we like Medvedev and generally people are very favourable towards Medvedev at the moment, he kind of got away with it a little bit. But actually, I think that was really bad from him. And I think he deserves some criticism for that. He, he needs to be able to control himself better. You can't go kicking a camera lens just because it's it's slightly in the way. Um, the wider point of Medvedev and the US Open, something which really sticks in my mind is there have been two big hardcore events over the last year which Djokovic hasn't won and those have been last year's US Open and this year's Olympics and I think of Medvedev as the next best hardcore player in the world and he didn't win either of those tournaments you know so yes Djokovic has been an obstacle for him at the Australian Open but exactly as you're saying, David, he's he's found other obstacles for himself. And I think Dominic Team was brilliant in their semi-final at the US Open from memory. That's not necessarily a bad loss, but he lost it in straight sets. I think he could have done better there. And then he lost to Pablo Coenia Busta at the Olympics. And and that, that was a bad loss. Again, trying to take nothing away from Coenia Busta, but Medvedev is a better player. He He really should be winning that. So yes, Djokovic is the main obstacle for him, but he's also got He's also got to figure it out himself and he's got to put himself in a position to play Djokovic in the final. And all of his tennis is suggesting he can do that, but these things are getting in the way sometimes. Um, I also am a bit concerned about him in the heat. I think Mm. he struggled with that in in Tokyo. I think I remember him playing Bublik in Toronto and he was struggling in that match. And then there was a rain delay and and that helped him. And I think it was pretty hot again in... Cincinnati in that Rublev match, he looked pretty. He, g- pretty he can very quickly look me. like an elderly man in the heat. <laughs> Something mm. about his his hairline and what happens to his <laughs> complexion. He can, you know, he can look when he when he's got a just sort of a, a a nice golden tan, and he's all you know in his crisp white kit. He can look, you know, very well turned out, almost suave, you might say, but. You know, put him two hours into into a match in thirty five degrees, and he can he can really look a state. <laughs> him and the crowd are going to be very interesting, aren't they? In New York this year, they're going to be very flipping great. It's going to be a perfect alchemy, and I will accept we- nothing less. <laughs> we missed out on that last year. Yeah, I'm owed big time. Yeah, we've got two years' worth in two weeks. And the US Open crowd is thinking that too. We haven't had this for two years. Right, we're going for it. That's what I'll be thinking. And we'll just be having all the FOMO. Mm, Yeah, but we get to watch it and we get to talk about it every night on the Tennis Podcast because we're going to be daily, daily during the US Open, folks. He's he's too pumped. Yeah. I always have to point out it's nightly. There's there's nothing daily about the podcast. It's all in the night. Really, isn't it? I mean, (laughs) do you remember that one last year when we we where I went to breakfast 
about 10 minutes after recording the podcast at 6am. Um, that's what happens sometimes at the US Open. Catherine's just, just wincing at that thought. Um, won't happen this year. Uh, but anyway... No, this, uh, that's what we're going to be, daily. And uh, by the way, the Angelique Kerber reference from earlier, it ended up being Daryl who, who backed Barty to win the uh, tournament. So he got a few extra points. Um, and yeah, sign up to the newsletter and find out who I, who I plumped for this week with my big money. Uh, well, there's no money. It's just points. <laughs> just points and pride. And I nearly pulled it off. Anyway. Oh, so what about... <laughs> What about the men's doubles? Uh, Marcel Grenoyers and Horatio Zabaios won their first Cincinnati title by beating Steve Johnson and Austin Krychek, who I found out is a distant relative of Richard Krychek. Uh, How distant? The weekend. He's American. Yeah. Cousin. Distant cousin. Really? Yeah. 7676. Seven, um, hmm. And uh, their fourth Masters 1000 title as a team. Grenoyers and Zabias, and first team since the Bryan brothers in 2003 to win Cincinnati without dropping a set, says Matt Roberts on our agenda. I saw some clips of Steve Johnson sort of unexpectedly being a great crowd pleaser in the final. I, I don't know if that sounds really harsh, but I don't think of him as someone sort of who would inspire a crowd and he was he was doing all sorts of things he was sort of in the crowd at one point sort of balancing on the ledge having just got a shot back and he was sort of whipping them into a bit of a bit of a frenzy excellent go on steve it was a fun match i think that's how much crowds have missed tennis they Mm, are being whipped into a frenzy (laughs) by steve johnson playing doubles yeah he can't he can't get enough of it either brilliant um so by the way, the uh, the men's final, Zverev beating Rublev, I mean, it just wasn't competitive, partly because Zverev was very good, but Rublev, I, mean, he, I don't know whether he was just completely burnt out by then or, or what, but he looked he looked like a child playing an adult, to be honest. Yeah, yeah he did. I mean, Zverev was brilliant, and um, he, well, he doesn't half look confident. It'll be interesting seeing that confidence tested at the US Open in best of five sets, you know, again, I, I do expect him to, to come through the early rounds and, you know, make it to a big match deep in the tournament. Um, and, yeah, there's no doubt he is a real confidence confidence player, Zverev. I know all tennis players are. Confidence is, you know, that crucial sort of um, impalpable, unpalpable Um element to the game but yeah he was brilliant but is it Rublev Rublev just seemed defeated from the first point which I know he's got this really bad head-to-head against Verev and it's never beaten him but he'd never beaten Medvedev either he'd never even taken a set off Medvedev until the previous day so you'd think that that would you know make him think oh well who cares about a head-to-head but he really looked like he was very aware of the head-to-head and it would just from you know the first split second of that match it felt over somehow mm. yeah it looked a formality so early on I think Zverev went up a double break and Rublev said as much really he said he's got a mental block against Zverev and as you said I was surprised having having watched him overcome Medvedev for the first time but then I suppose he was 
losing pretty heavily to Medvedev as well until that match flipped. I don't think he necessarily mm. stepped onto the court against Medvedev with any more belief than usual. Um, and he certainly didn't against Zverev. And... He, he's best mates with Zverev, isn't he? Mm. I, I don't know if that's a yeah an issue for him. He doesn't. I mean, he seems ruthless enough against other people that mm. I would be surprised if he were that kind of character. But 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 maybe. Mm. I mean, overall, it's it's a good week for him, and he he really until the final looked like he had his confidence back that he really kind of lost. I think over the summer with some with some defeats he just hadn't been taking previously, so he got it back, but. He just got exposed as one-dimensional against Zverev. Mm. I, th- I think when Zverev's playing that sort of tennis, you need something to disrupt him. You need a slice or you need to be able to come to the net or do something. And Rublev's tennis is all very on the same dimension. And Zverev just did it a whole lot better. And yeah, he, he's, he's playing very well, Zverev. I think, you know, maybe this is a harsh take, but I... I do wonder whether we've learned anything about Zverev this week. You know, we know he can play like this. We we know he's very, very good in these Masters 1000 events. He's very good on a hard court. He's taking an 11-match winning streak into the US Open, but they're best of three sets. And he's shown us that before. He hasn't shown us it over the best of five against the best players in the world. And maybe that is unfair, but... I think Zverev himself knows that. You know, he kind of referenced it in his speech during the trophy ceremony. He said, he, he, he sort of threw Cincinnati under the bus. And he said, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping we can meet in lots of other bigger events. And then he said, oh, not, not that this isn't a big event. And he, he got himself in a bit of a muddle over it. But generally, I think he knows now that the next step for him in tennis is doing it at the slams. And yes, it's great to be going in on with the confidence, but... We have seen that before from him, so he's he's still got he's still got another step to take. Yeah, until he wins one, he's got it all to prove, really, uh, at the very at the very highest level. Um, the one quick note on the pay difference between Ash Barty winning the women's title two hundred and fifty five thousand two hundred and twenty dollars, Zverev won six hundred and fifty four thousand eight hundred and fifteen, nearly three times as much for winning the same title. I mean, that is absolutely it's, staggering. It's just wrong. Um, it's just wrong. It's wrong and unacceptable. Rub- I mean, I know that, look, they say, or they, they say that they're different categories of events, but I mean, these days, isn't isn't Cincinnati a 1,000 in the WTA? It's, it's a WTA 1,000, and I, th- I think it has 900 points as, a, as opposed to 1,000. But yes, they are branded the same, and it's only the former Premier mandatories like Indian Wells and Madrid and those sorts of ones where the prize money is the same. The former Premier fives, really there's still a massive gap. And yeah, Rublev earned more for reaching the final than Ash Barty did for winning the title. And the men's semi-finalists both earn more than Jill Teichman, the women's finalist. There's, you know, I mean, we touched on it during our Equal Prize Money show in Wimbledon Relive, but this is this is where there is still a big, big gap. And I don't think, I don't think people know, really. I think, um, you know, real tennis insiders do, but I think 
the equal prize money at slams is such a big and great headline for tennis but stuff like this is the sort of week in week out reality and there's there's still a lot of work to be done Mm. well when when the tours are releasing further content under the banner of tennis united that that's hard to take really um and I, I think it needs addressing sharpish. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rose, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello Tennis Podcast listeners, David here. Now you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Now, elsewhere, um, really interesting final between two young players, Clara Towson and Emma Raducanu. You may remember she did so well at Wimbledon, got to the fourth round, and they met in the final of a WC event in Chicago, a 125-point final. Um, 6-4 in the deciding set, Towson won it. She's the, the young Dane, 18 years of age, who... We got really excited about a year ago, didn't we, when she uh, she beat Jennifer, Jennifer Brady in the first round at Roland Garros. Just absolutely stunning power this this young woman's got. Um, she's had some other big wins since then as well, but struggled a little bit of late. First time she's won back-to-back matches since Charleston in April, but 77 in the world. Great to see Raducanu after the the moment that she went through in the fourth round when she, she had to, to retire from her, her match and that she managed to beat the top seed, Alison van Oetvank, in, in round one. Um, she's into the top 150 and that's really something, Catherine, actually, to, to, to come to this level of event now, which is a decent level, but the right sort of level, I think, for now and, and get a load of wins. Really impressive. Yeah, absolutely. Especially as the the first event she played after Wimbledon, she had a a, a quite chastening loss in the spotlight. Um, we we talked about it, didn't it? Didn't we in, in San Jose being scheduled on the main court first night session? Um, and yeah, you, 
as you would expect, she played a higher ranked player and she lost. She suffered quite a heavy loss. But to be thrown back into that kind of spotlight to lose after what happened at Wimbledon, that's tough. And then the event she played the week before the, this result, she she retired from her match with heat exhaustion. I think that was somewhere in North America as well. Um, so, you know, that's all completely legitimate and no one of those things in isolation is is a worry or anything but you know you just wanted after after Wimbledon just wanted her to have a good experience and get get back on track and start feeling positive about things and um this this couldn't be better timed and she beat really proper players to get to that final and I, I was also particularly impressed at how she she turned around the final and took it to a third set because it was a a very one-sided first set by by all accounts. We weren't able to watch it, but I was I was trying to follow it online and just nothing but good things for Emma Raducanu last week, and that's that's a nice thing to be able to say. Yeah, I mean, she's going to be entering the qualifying now for the US Open, which is uh, I've seen in in the UK is going to be live on Prime Video, which Catherine will be presenting when uh, the main draw starts. Um, a week from now, um, but yeah, it's going to be really interesting to watch the qualifying rounds. Over no, the next few no days. crowds for qualifying. No, but uh, but crowds are going to be in in the house from Monday onwards, aren't they? From next Monday when the main draw starts is uh, yes. is what we understand. So um, let's hope that continues to be the They're case. They're waiting for you, Steve Johnson. <laughs> they sure are. <laughs> Um, and, uh, yeah, a week ago, it seems hard to believe a week ago, we were talking about Roger Federer having, pulling, having to pull the plug on his season. And we suspect that may be it for his professional playing career. And Rafa Nadal, we knew had, had pulled out of both, uh, Canada and also Cincinnati with the foot problem he'd had. We thought he was there was no chance he'd be able to play the US Open. Well, in fact, he's not going to play again this year. He, he's pulled the plug on, on his season. And uh, it, it, it's another moment which just hits you really hard to see these guys, Matt, unable to play. And uh, Nadal seems absolutely determined to come back. And and basically he's saying, you, you know, I will be back and I will be at my top level again. But crikey, it's... Um, it's another moment, isn't it, where it does just stop you and make you think mm. these guys aren't going to be around forever. Yeah, totally. It's quite interesting if you just watch the two videos. I mean, Federer put out his video and Nadal put out his video. It, it was quite it was quite a good insight into their personality, actually, because Federer's was the kind of slightly more upbeat in his body language and yet delivering this really crushing announcement that, you know, exactly as you said this could be the end of his playing career and whereas Nadal was much more downbeat in tone but the message was more positive obviously in the short term it's it's a huge blow that he's out of the US Open and out for the season but it was it was different from Federer's in that he said you know I'm positive that I can recover from this and I can fight for the most important titles again and I think he he really understands this this injury I think because it's one he's had since 2005 you know it's it's a it's a problem that he's dealt with through his career and I think in 2005 the doctors really thought that could be the end of his playing career before it had really started and he found a solution to it I think he thinks he will find a solution 
again. But yeah, gosh, for, for the short term, the amount of players who are out and, you know, Federer, Team, Nadal, all missing from the US Open, just, you know, if I was putting together a, a little group of men's tennis players that I've enjoyed watching the most over the last 10 years or so, those three would certainly be in it. it it's a real big blow for the tour. Um, and yeah, the fact that it's all coming at once is, is quite a lot to have to deal with. I don't think there's any major champions other than Djokovic in the top 30 seeds at the US Open as it stands. You know, that is that there's a real dearth of players who have been great champions in the past who are still right at the top of the men's game. There's obviously lots of challenges, but you just you just compare the two tours and they're in such different states at the moment. Mm. Yeah, no, they really are. Um, well, get well soon, Rafael Nadal and Roger Federer and Dominic Team. Quite honestly, it's uh, it's it's sad to see them hurting. Um, and uh, yeah, we hope they're well soon. Um, well, we waited up for for Andy Murray against Nick Kyrgios last night. Um, uh, and, uh, who's we? Well, well, okay, you were going to, and I was just sort of going to see how it went. Uh, no, you weren't. I, I said, I oh, he's staying up. You said, no, going to bed now, early, early start in the morning. We'll watch it on catch-up. Never up. heard from you again. <laughs> no, didn't watch it on catch-up, but nobody did because it didn't happen because Kyrgios pulled out moments before it was due to start. Catherine, I'm of an age now, all right? Can't be burning it at both ends anymore. Those days are gone. Except you still do burn it at both ends. <laughs> you burn <laughs> yeah. it at more ends than I do. You, you find Curios- ends that we didn't know existed. Curious with Drew, uh, with uh, a knee injury, I think, and uh, it, we were just waiting around looking at a screen with nobody playing. And then Noah Rubin appeared and uh, <laughs> played as a lucky Fresh loser. from his last match. He'd, he'd only lost about half an hour earlier and he came <laughs> out and he played against Andy Murray and he lost 6-2-6, love. Fair play to Noah Rubin for, for giving the crowd a match, frankly, because they must have been gutted. And uh, and, he, and and giving Andy Murray the his biggest win for years. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the toughest job in tennis was announcing that to the crowd. That they had a they had a full house in Winston Salem for Oof. for Marie Kyrgios, and there was this moment where I think we knew as TV viewers, but I don't think the crowd knew. And there was just this awkward wait. No players were appearing, and you're thinking, where are they? There's no, you know, there's there's no reason why they shouldn't be on court. And then it was announced that Nick Kyrgios had withdrawn, and uh, yeah. No, Rubin was the replacement. Not um, not quite what they were hoping for. And, and and it was a no, Rubin, as you said, he'd had a two and a half hour qualifying match where he had match point, didn't win it. Oh. As you say, fair play going out. But there was just there was nothing left of him, really. And Murray, yeah. Murray handled him pretty easily. Mm. Uh, Murray now plays Francis Tiafo. Uh, Pablo Carina Buster is the top seed. David Goffin, Dan Evans, uh, Carlos Alcaraz, Alexander Bublik are all in that draw as well. This week also sees uh, a new WTA 250 event in Cleveland. Brilliant name. It's called Tennis in the Land. Um, <laughs> I thought <laughs> it was why. a joke to start with, but it seems actually to be called Tennis in the Land. It does. Do yeah. appeal to our listeners in Cleveland... Well, I'm, I'm saying Cleveland now because tennis in the Lund isn't right, is it? Anyway, Cleveland. do people in Cleveland 
Clevelandites, if you will. Clevelanders. Do you call it the land? Do you call it the land? Mm. Mm. Let us know. Unspecific uh, land. It's like it's like when I covered um, Davis Cup ties about well, just before the pandemic hit. Actually, I got my pack and it and it said location Earth <laughs> <laughs> because they didn't because it wasn't specific in terms of where I was going. And I thought, well, that I mean that that is reassuring. Earth <laughs> that covers it. Uh, all Do, options covered. But if people from Cleveland call it the land, then what about? Maryland, Maryland, Maryland. Oh, no, no, you're giving me a headache. Um, let us know. Are there other lands in America? Uh, there's also a new WTF 250 event in Chicago. Uh, new England. Alina the top seed. Switzerland. Uh, Williams is in the draw. I'll just keep talking. <laughs> Plays uh, Shesu Wei in the first round. Um, Marketa von Drusheva and Tamara Zidancic all playing. Uh, and one final bit of news. Um, it's taken a while to come, but the ATP has announced a safeguarding review um, into uh, all of their safeguarding policies in line with the commitment to ensure all adults and minors involved in professional tennis are safe and protected from abuse. And further down in the second paragraph of this, uh, it says, following its completion um, the ATP will evaluate its recommendations and possible next steps across a range of safeguarding matters, including those pertaining to domestic violence. Uh, and Massimo Carvalho, the ATP CEO, said abuse has a profound and lasting impact on millions of victims each year. We believe everyone in tennis should feel protected, fairly represented and supported in raising concerns. Um, well, something. Um, and uh, good that they're good that they're doing something and we'll see what it leads to right that's just about it for another edition of the tennis podcast we are going to have a lot of them coming your way over the next three weeks um starting tomorrow in fact because matt and i are going to be with you because we've been speaking to christopher clary the new york times tennis correspondent who has written the book the master based on Roger Federer's career and his reporting of him and many, many interviews over the years. Um, I've already spoken to Chris, and I hope you'll enjoy that. That will be out on your feed tomorrow. Uh, then we've got two editions of US Open Relived. The first is going to focus on Marit Safin and his run to the title in 2000. We've got loads of good interviews um, to bring you as part of that. Uh, we've also got the story of 2015 and Serena Williams going for the Grand Slam. Um, and stopped in her tracks in the semi-finals by Roberta Vinci. So we'll be looking back on that. Uh, we're going to have, a, of course, a US Open preview. And then it's Daly's time, folks. Are we ready? Yes. I'd say slightly less ready than <laughs> you by the sounds of things. But overall, yes. It's going to be amazing. Um, this week, we've got a, a fantastic mascot called Luna, who's a Havanese owned by Holmes. And my goodness... Is Luna lovely? Yes. As Matt pointed out, to have amused David, Luna looks like Sia. <laughs> I mean, David's learned, who Sia, David's learned who Sia is this week. Yeah, I did not know that person existed until yesterday. So, you do yeah, get Luna, dogs Sia. As celebrity lookalike contest, don't you? I really think Holmes should enter Luna mm. as Sia. 
Well, we'll put Picture of Luna in our newsletter, which you can subscribe to by scanning down on your show notes right now and uh, sticking your email in. And you can get our newsletter every single week, which includes uh, my bold predictions that don't come to much. Um, we have our own mascots, Zeus for Catherine, Rogue for myself, and uh, Scouse and Mousel for Matt. We let all of you down. Sorry. Uh, Billie Jean is back in the flat uh, waiting for Matt. Because uh, Matt's on his way for the US Open to stay in Tennis Podcast Towers um, with Billy Jean, the dog, who is back in in the house and is sponsored by Billy Jean King. Um, so, yeah, that's that's going to be great fun. And I can't be there because I'm going to be covering it f- for BBC Radio uh, up in Manchester. But we'll be together on Zoom for the Tennis Podcast every single night. Uh, Chris Albert Lee is our executive producer. And, uh, yeah, that just about does it for this edition. Keep looking at your feed, folks. Keep refreshing, because we're coming your way. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.